Well, welcome back to week number six of our series from the Sermon on the Mount. As I begin our sermon today, perhaps you saw the uh, sermon blast go out this week, a little bit of a strange blast, though I try to make every sermon blast strange. I'm going to share a few names of uh, some people with you, and I want you to tell me where you've seen them. Betty White. Golden Girls, yeah, Betty White, Golden Girls, and everything else. Boy, she had a certain, certainly a surge in her career uh, here in these last few years as well. Betty White, love Betty White. How about Tom Cruise? Top Gun, yeah, Tom Cruise, Top Gun, uh, Mission Impossible. Um, what was that? What was the name of that show where he goes, that movie where he goes sliding out in his socks? Dun, 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 dun. Risky Business, yeah, he was in that too. I'm so glad he's short, because I'd really, really not like him if he was tall. <laughs> How about Jennifer Aniston? Friends, right. Um, did you know that um, she really wants to be my girlfriend? <laughs> it's, she won't stop bothering me. I mean, I got a restraining order. It didn't work. But those three made it into the CERN blast, but I want to share with you two of my favorites. A little bit older, but how about Don Knotts and Andy Griffith? <laughs> yeah, the Andy Griffith show. Now, now, what do all these people have in common? They're old? <laughs> well, I feel like that may have come from my children. I'm not sure. They're all hypocrites. They're all hypocrites. The Greek word hypocrites means actor, pretender. They're all actors. They're all hypocrites. This is what Jesus compares the counterfeit righteous or the self-righteous people of his day. Religious people often appear as hypocrites to others, as actors, because their actions are motivated not by love for God and neighbor, but by offering the right appearance before others for their praise or adoration. As an example, Jesus used the three pillars of Jewish religious community life in his sermon. Now, these three pillars of Jewish piety are charitable giving, prayer, and fasting. Jesus said, so, so when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets. Here you go, poor fellow. Here's a $5 bill. You're welcome. And when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street to be seen by men. Oh, super fantastic, phasmagorical, almighty and everlasting, supreme creator of heaven and earth. I'm so thankful that you made me because I look so good in your image. And when you fast, don't look somber like the hypocrites, the actors do. For they disfigure their faces to show men they're fasting. I am so hungry. Oh, this being holy thing is hard. Fasting, by the way. That's funny, isn't it? We, we don't really do that much. Last week, our sermon ended with Jesus' challenge for every disciple. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, perfect in this sense means to grow or to mature in perfect love. So Jesus calls us to something which on the surface might seem impossible 
But when considered as a challenge, considered as a challenge to growth, is attainable when we walk with Jesus, the one who is perfect and perfects us. You see, Jesus desires to renovate the matter of our hearts so that we can mature in love and share our faith authentically with others. By grace, God offers us a divine attitude adjustment. We know those as the Beatitudes, so that our attitudes may be like Christ. Be attitudes. As our attitudes shift, Jesus begins renovating the many different rooms of our hearts with his love, and the more our attitude becomes like Jesus, the more he renovates the different rooms in our hearts. And the more renovating Jesus does, the more perfect in love we become, embodying the truth of God's love in our lives. So when we see the effects of pain and sorrow, we mourn. When we see injustice and we're willing to speak against it in love, we show. So this perfection that's granted to us is called righteousness. And righteousness is the character of God. Now, you may not know the definition of righteousness, so I'm going to unpack it for you now. Righteousness is simply God's perfect love and God's perfect justice combined into one holy substance that we call grace. Perfect love, perfect justice, together it's grace. Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Now why did Jesus say those who hunger and thirst after righteousness? Because none of us are perfect but we are perfected in love through that relationship with Jesus. You see, it's God who graces us with the hunger and thirst. It's God who graces us with the desire because we can't make ourselves righteous no matter what we do, no matter how good we are at pretending. This means as we move forward in God's renovation of our hearts, we've got to be very careful to avoid self-righteous behaviors. We've got to really try hard not acting holy to fool others or worse yet, fool ourselves. What's the number one complaint of non-Christians and people who no longer attend church about us? What do people say about us? They do. They say we're hypocrites. They say we are hypocrites. I don't want to go to churches full of hypocrites. And to an extent, they are right. When I realized one, that's when I, when I realized I was one, that's when I came back. You see, so often our behavior does not line up with the person of Jesus. The one we say is in our hearts, but we quickly forget when we receive the praise of others, or we act with wrong motivations, or we simply have a disagreement with one of our brothers and sisters. There are plenty of people out in the world that already hate Christians. So why should we hate each other over a disagreement? Do you know what the watching world says when they witness us gossiping and slandering each other? They say the church is full of hypocrites. You know, I think one of the biggest barriers as Christians is when we compartmentalize the faith. 
we go to worship, we may attend a Bible study or a small group. Some of us might even serve on committees, teach, or sing in the choir. But when we leave the building, we take our faith and we put it back in the box. We come to church and we speak fluent Christianese. But out in the world, our words and our actions don't line up with who is inside of us. I think it's because we compartmentalize our faith. Faith is not meant to be compartmentalized. Faith is meant to permeate. You know one of the things that I kind of enjoyed, let me, let me, let me step back. I did not enjoy the pandemic, nor am I still enjoying the pandemic. But one of the things that I liked during the pandemic to help get us through was the amount of baking that we did. Right? And, and, I, and I'm working on undoing the baking that was done. And it was interesting to watch like how many bread makers flew off the shelves, right? During the beginning of the pandemic, you couldn't find one. Everybody was baking bread. I didn't bake bread. I like sweet stuff like pies. I made pies. You ever bake fresh bread or bake a pie? Man, it permeates the whole house. The whole house smells so good. Why is it every sermon ends up talking about food? <laughs> Probably ought to work through that with my therapist. Listen, friends, we are partakers of Jesus. We are partakers of the bread of life. And the sweet smell of his grace is meant to permeate every aspect of our living. But for our faith to permeate, we've got to be willing to be vulnerable. We've got to be willing to not put on the mask of perfection when we know in our hearts that we fall remarkably short from being perfect. As the Apostle Paul reminds us, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Hence, our attitude must be poor in spirit. That's why that's the foundation of the sermon. You see, our public life with Jesus is not meant to be an act but a witness. So when we give or pray or deny ourselves something, it's not so we can draw attention to ourselves. Our acts of charity are not done so that we can feel good about ourselves or to make up for all of the ways in which we are not perfect, which I don't know about you, but for, for me it's many. And Christianity, friends, is way more than a feeling. It's a new way of living. I think that may be one of the things that annoys me the most these days. When people say to me, I'm just not feeling fed there. Or I'm just not feeling it. Since, since when did this thing have anything to do with your feelings? If you're not feeling fed, pick up a fork and feed yourself. Right? Christianity is much, much bigger than feelings. How often do our feelings lie to us and disappoint us? We're to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. What we think informs what we feel, not what we feel informing what we think. Jesus says, be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before others, to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. How then? How do we do it, y'all? How do we embody our faith without looking like hypocrites? How do we receive the word of our Father who is in heaven? How do we do it? I think we just got to get real. We have to get real. 
We aren't perfect. There's nothing we can do to make ourselves perfect, so let's not pretend to be perfect. And for Pete's sake, don't put me on a step on any kind of pedestal. The higher up on a pedestal you put me, the harder my fall is going to be in your eyes. Not because I did it. I'm not putting myself on a pedestal. I'm smart enough to know I'm a goober. But you might be putting your pastor on a pedestal. Don't do that. Your pastor's human. I'm just telling you now, you know, in case two years from now I really disappoint you. You know we're not fooling anybody when we pretend, right? Except maybe ourselves. So instead of acting, why don't we just focus on our relationship with God? Let's just accept God's grace. Let's be poor in spirit so we can be honest about where we are in our walk with Jesus and, and focus on our desires for His, His life in us. A quick question, just curious. And I continue to love my conversations with you. I met a couple the other night. They've been married 65 years. 65 years. Wow. For those of you that have been married or married a long time, I'm curious, do you only talk to your spouse once a week for one hour? And if those of you who have been married 65, 70 years say, yep, that's how we made it, <laughs> then I won't shut up. But seriously, now how long would your marriage last if y'all only talked once a week? Probably not too long. So then why do we think we can talk to God once or twice a week and continue to grow in maturity? You've got to get real. So how can we get real with God and get real with others if we're barely speaking to the author and the perfecter of our faith? I mean, the only relationships that are truly successful that can radically transform our being and our doing are those relationships in which we are invested. That's why Jesus gives us a model for getting real. We call this model the Lord's Prayer, but it would probably be more appropriate to call this the Disciples' Prayer because Jesus didn't pray it. Jesus taught it to us so that we could openly talk with His Father and our Father. You see, true righteousness beckons us to get real, to just get real. At the center of getting real is prayer. Prayer. Pray, 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 pray. That's at the center of getting real. And friends, listen, a praying congregation is a vibrant congregation. You know you don't have to close your eyes to pray. Did you know that? You don't have to do that. Sometimes I'm just sitting in a chair, the computer's open, my hands are here, and I'm looking out the window. And I probably look like a crazy person. So they walk in the room, what are you doing? I'm praying. You sure? Mouth just hanging open with some drool coming out. No, I'm praying. You can pray when you drive. You can pray when you walk. You can pray when you lift weights. Prayer is simply a conversation with God. You can talk to God any old way that is naturally you. And we must be willing not only to talk to God, but to listen. And I'm sure some of you are saying, I want this. I want to spend more time in prayer, but I'm not really sure how. Fear not. You have come to the right place. Today is the day to learn how to pray. Because Jesus has offered us a model for how to pray, how to get real with Him and each other. And if you are a praying pro, and I know some of you are, then today is going to serve as a great reminder of the basics. 
The disciples' prayer is Jesus' how-to for getting real. So as I end the sermon today, I want to share with you three ways that the Lord's Prayer empowers us to get real. How to get real, number one. God is here. God is there. And He has a plan that connects the two. God is here. God is there. He has a plan that connects the two. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When I say God is here, that means God is imminent. He came in the flesh of his son, Jesus Christ, and he has remained through the person and the work of his Holy Spirit. So the prayer that Jesus is teaching is an intimate prayer because we are also his father's children. Now, God is also there. That means God is transcendent. God is holy. God is eternal. God is outside of time. And if you are sleeping now, wake back up because I'm going to really say something that's going to put you to sleep. Y'all remember the seventh day of creation, right? Well, it wasn't creation, actually. It's the eternal day, right? God completed his work, and he rested on the seventh day, right? He rested into eternity. That means God is eternal, but we still exist in time. So our prayer must always first be centered on what God wants because God has a plan. And what does God want? What does God want? God wants his will to be done on earth as it's already done in heaven. Get real. Not only are we not controlling the universe, we're not even controlling how others behave towards us. So when we talk to God, our conversation... Those are cool. Right? Motorcycles. You know, I tried to drive one of those once, rode it right into the side of a church. It's not in a script. I just thought I'd share that with you. When we are talking to God, our conversation should begin with God's agenda. Then we can bring our petitions to Him or our needs before Him, which He already knows, by the way. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's how to get real, number one. God is here, God is there, and God has a plan that connects the two. Here's how to get real, number two. God provides for our need, not our greed. Need, not greed. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. The Greek word literally is debts. I know we say trespasses in ours. That's that good old English stuff getting into that Methodism there, but it's, it's actually debts. To... See, God provides for our physical needs until we physically need no more. In other words, we've died. And God provides for our spiritual need by protecting our souls. You know God does not promise to protect your body. God does not, God never made that promise. I promised it to, to protect your body. Absolutely not. Psalm 121. God promises to protect our soul, both our coming and our going, both now and forevermore. God promises to protect our soul, and can you imagine the kind of peril our soul might face were we not in a relationship with God? Because I've seen a soul without God. I've seen what that looks like. 
and they are hurt, hurt. Bad things are going to happen to us, but God offers a balm for the soul that leads to a resurrection. His daily bread, his manna from heaven, that saves our souls through Jesus from the destruction of death. So our bodies die, but our souls don't have to. So let's get real. Not only does God provide for our physical needs, he also provides imperfect people with his perfect forgiveness and protection. That which we have received from God, forgiveness, that's meant to be passed on to others as well. It's meant to be, and, and look, let me give you, let me give you just a breather here for a minute and say, if you're struggling with forgiving somebody, know that that's okay. Because if you're going to get real about something, let's get real about how hard it is to forgive. Forgiveness is a process. It does not happen overnight, maybe for something little. But for the big things, the big hurts in life, forgiveness takes a long time. But it requires you to be vulnerable. It requires you to surrender it often. It requires you to talk about it and to process it often. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And that's how to get real number two. And this is how to get real number three. God may test us, but God never tempts us. God may test us, but God never tempts us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. There are times in Scripture where God may test his people, but God never tempts people to sin. It's Satan that tempts. And look, I know maybe it makes me ignorant. Maybe it makes me sound like a Baptist or something. But I do believe in an evil one. I do think there is a Satan. I think he is having a high time right now. Causing division not only among us, but just making the world absolutely lose its mind. It's not God that is doing that. That is the evil one that is doing that. So what's the point of prayer of saying we believe in Jesus if we don't call out Jesus' name and say, Jesus, vanquish our foe. Vanquish our enemy. It's Satan that tempts, friends. It's, it's not God. You ever say the devil made you do it? <laughs> At my last church I just left, they have this, uh, this committee that prepares food bank for banquets and, and, and other things at the church, and they always make deviled eggs. And you need to know that deviled eggs is one of my favorite food groups. And, um, and they're just so good. And um, like, like they would make these platters of them, you know, and they'd put one back because I know I'd be walking through that kitchen at some point and grab one. But the truth of the matter is I would just open it up and take the plate out and start eating them like they's candy because I like them, right? And I had a mouthful of deviled eggs. Like I was probably on de deviled egg number five, right? And, and this, uh, this man from the church walks in, he looks at me, and, and, and I looked at him straight in the face with a mouthful of deviled eggs, and I said, the devil made me do it. But let's get real for a moment, right? The devil doesn't make us do anything, right? The devil doesn't make us do it. 
We choose to behave the way we choose to behave. So don't blame God and don't blame Satan. You did that on your own. But by grace, God has given us everything we need to overcome the temptations of the evil one and overcome the temptations of our own humanity and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Friends, God desires for us to be authentic. God desires for us to get real, to get real in our relationships with him, to get real in our relationships with each other. And I know it's difficult sometimes for our finite minds to grasp an infinite God. But since God has made himself seen and known, real to the touch through Jesus, we can begin to grasp literally the reality of God. And one of the ways that we grasp the reality of God is through prayer. And it's the reality of God, friends, that we are praying into existence every time we pray the Lord's Prayer. And likewise, it's God's reality that we pray into our lives every time we model our prayers after the way Jesus taught us to pray. And so I want to invite you today to do something very special with me. It's going to be a fabulous witness to our neighborhood. I want you to join me in singing the Lord's Prayer today. I want it to be our final hymn for today. And listen, guys especially, I know some of you are not comfortable singing. I get it. I understand. You do not have to be comfortable singing. But if you will stand and simply speak it as others around you are singing it, that counts. And those of you that have always wanted to sing the Lord's Prayer in front of the church but you're just too scared to, today's your day. All you have to do is join me in singing it. So I invite you to stand now as we end our sermon by singing the Lord's Prayer. us not 
into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is a kingdom and the power and the glory.